dedication or I'm about to be mugged. I'm going to ask the Josh and Millie and uh, clan to join us on the platform. What a wonderful time to be able to celebrate the birth of a child and its future. The Bible tells us that children are heritage from God, a gift from God. If you believe that, let me hear your hands this morning. And this is a special day, even beyond just a baby dedication, and um, I'll try to not get emotional in this moment, but I thought about the two of you, and the scripture came to mind that if it was true for anybody, it's true for the two of you, that weeping endures for the night. But joy comes in the morning. And this is a day of joy. What big eyes you have there. He said, I don't know why I'm up here, but I'm not liking it very well. We all understand that baby dedication is an act on the part of the parents. It's parents saying, we're going to raise this child for the king. And the name Ezra is a wonderful name. It means helper. But Ezra is second only to Moses in acclaim in Israel and in their history. And we recently did a journey through the book of Ezra. And I think Ezra chapter 7 verse 10 captures Ezra's life in scripture this way. That is my prayer for this little guy this morning. The Bible tells us about Ezra in chapter 7 that Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. That's, a, that's a, a plan for all of our lives, a paradigm we should all follow, to seek the law of God, to obey the law of God, and then to teach the law of God in whatever occupation God's called us to. So for Ezra to fulfill his God-given potential, it's your privilege as parents to teach him early the fear of the Lord, to watch over his education that he be not led astray, 
to direct his youthful mind to the Holy Scriptures and to restrain him from evil associates and habits and to bring him up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So I have some questions for the two of you this morning. Do you recognize this child as a gift from God and give heartfelt thanks for God's blessing? And do you submit yourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and commit yourselves to live godly and consistent lives before your child? And do you promise by God's help and in partnership with the church to provide Ezra a Christian home of love and peace, to raise him in the truth of the word of God, and to encourage him to trust Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? Amen. Congregation, I'm going to ask you to stand because this is a journey for the family of God, and that's who we are. We are many things in Scripture, but the most intimate picture is that of the family of God. And we are committing ourselves this morning as well to walk with them. And in a moment, your response enthusiastically and loudly will be, um, we will. All right? So I ask you, the congregation, if you'll commit yourselves as the body of Christ to support and encourage Josh and Millie as they endeavor to fulfill their responsibilities to their son and to assist Ezra by nurturing his growth towards spiritual maturity, we will. Inasmuch then as you have promised before God and this congregation to dedicate your child to him, to God, and yourself to the task of rearing him for God, I now charge you to give yourselves wholeheartedly to this task. With wisdom, patience, devotion, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. We have some things to give to you this morning before we pray. A Bible commemorating this morning, a letter for the two of you, and a letter for little Ezra when he turns 13. If you lose it, we keep it on fire. <laughs> and these flowers, the white carnation that represents the purity of a mother's love, the white rose, the innocence of a new life. And for the father, the red carnation, the um, spiritual heritage and oversight that you bring to the home as the priest of your household. I give you the flowers. And then normally, with social distancing, normally I take the child, but I'm not going to do that this morning. I'll let you hold him because he's happy right now. <laughs> and that transition gets tricky. Would you stretch your hand toward this family as we pray? Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful for your faithfulness this morning. In the dark times that Josh and Millie walked with you, they kept their hand firmly in your hand. In times when life didn't make sense and when sorrow was deep, they walked with you. And have come through that to this morning when we celebrate the fulfillment of your promise the wondrous faithfulness that you manifest toward all of us and especially toward this household. Lord, this morning we commit Josh and Millie to you and ask that your blessing and anointing would be on them, that you would give them wisdom and insights as they raise this young man for your kingdom's sake. And Lord, we bring Ezra before you, that you will put in him a supernatural hunger to seek your word that there'll be a passion in his life to live your word and that you will give him a voice to communicate your word to everyone that's around him. I pray that you'd protect him from the snares and pitfalls of the enemy, 
that your anointing and blessing would be on him and that your hand would be evident on his life as we commit him and his parents to you this morning in Jesus' name. And everyone in agreement said, amen. 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 One more time, give it up. God bless you. Congratulations. Bless your family. God bless. You can be seated and uh, enjoy this video. Let me hear your hands. Well, this morning as we go to Hebrews chapter 7, I would encourage you to open your Bible or your digital device and follow along as another one of our quizzers, Colby Comer, quotes our theme text this morning. Colby? This Melchizedek was king of Psalm and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham, returned from the defeat of the kings, and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also, king of Psalm means king of peace. Without mother or father, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, representing the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Thank you. Give Colby a hand. Thank you. Good job. One of my favorite scriptures in all of scripture is found in this chapter, and I'm going to go to the end of the chapter just so that we can highlight that. Verse uh, 25 of chapter 7 says this, Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. I particularly like the rendering in the King James Version that he is able to save to the uttermost. I don't think you can say that any better in any other translation. Everybody say, I'm saved to the uttermost. It's a great Southern Gospel song. I thought about seeing if Pastor Nathan could whip that up this morning. I'm saved to the uttermost, and I know that I am washed in the blood. I'm a child of God, saved to the uttermost. Not just halfway in the door, not just halfway saved. He's done a wonderful work in all of our lives. And this is particularly meaningful after chapter 6. <laughs> Chapter 6 was a challenge. It is for some, if you have walked too far away from God, you can get out there so far that you can't come back. 
But chapter 7 lets us know that it's not based on our abilities or strength, but it's based on his provision. He saves to the uttermost. So we have a choice. We can either draw back, we can walk away, we can follow fleshly desires, or we can press on forward in everything that God has for us. And if you have not yet figured it out, let me just remind you that you have not experienced everything God has for you yet. Turn to your neighbor and just say that. You haven't got the whole load yet. God's got more for you. One of the great preachers of a bygone era was John Wesley. John and Charles Wesley changed the face of uh, the church in America. And John Wesley was particularly frustrated with people that started out the journey and didn't finish it. They would stop and stagnate. And you know what happens when you stop growing in your faith? You become a hypocritical, condemning Pharisee. That's what happens. You become negative toward everybody and everything and you've gotten stale in your soul. And John Wesley, we have this picture of them being these nice, formal, you know, smooth-talking people, but in reality, they were human too, and John would get really frustrated. The story's told. I've not been able to verify it, but I think it must be true. <laughs> that once while preaching, he was wearing one of those bow ties with the, 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 uh, the, the sides that hang down, you know, that kind of a bow tie. And a lady came up to him afterwards, and I, and I believe this because things like this happen all the time. A lady came up to him and said very harshly, Mr. Wesley, the strings on your bow tie are much too long. It offends me. <laughs> so immediately asked if somebody had a pair of scissors. And someone did. And so they came to the front where he was standing, gave him a pair of scissors. And he said to the woman, then by all means, trim it to your satisfaction. So she did so, clipping off an inch or so from each side. And he said, are you sure they're all right now? And she said, yes, that's much better. He said, then let me have the scissors for a moment. I'm sure you won't mind a bit of correction either. I do not wish to be cruel, madam, but your tongue offends me. It is too long. Please stick it out so I may trim some of it off. I like John Wesley. <laughs> I don't know if that ever happened, but it sure should have. I'm just saying that. Needless to say, the critic got the point. Wesley was known to be frustrated with people that stopped growing and soured and became critical. And Hebrews chapter 7 is telling us that we don't have to have that experience. We don't have to become sour. We don't have to draw back. We can keep pressing on. And all of the emphasis is on our better Savior who saves to the uttermost. Now, some of this will get a little tedious, but again, chapter 7 is filled with that kind of teaching. What is it that we need to understand about Jesus if we're going to move forward? The first thing that we have to understand is that the priesthood of Jesus is eternal. The priesthood of Jesus is forever. There's no end to that. And starts off in chapter 7 by connecting with the thought that ends chapter 6 about this priest named Melchizedek. Who is he and why is he the foundation for Jesus' priesthood? 
Well, it tells us about Melchizedek that he's one resembling the Son of God. Why is that important? Because it's called typology. A picture in the Old Testament that finds its fulfillment in the New Testament is expressed in Scripture, which tells us there was an intentional link between what happened then and what happened now that was ordained by God that we need to pay attention to. So the writer of Hebrews says, when you look at Melchizedek, you're seeing one that pictures for us the Son of God, and there are parallels that need not be missed. He is the king of Salem, which is the king of peace, and he is a priest of God. So let's drop back to when it tells us that Abraham met him after the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And you'll find that in Genesis chapter 14. I'm not going to preach that chapter, but I want you to capture what was happening. There was a battle between five kings and four kings. And they went to war and the king of Sodom was with the group of five. So the group of four defeated the group of five. And when they defeated the group of five, their, uh, their um, citizens were taken captive and Lot was living in Sodom. So when the king of Sodom lost in the war, the king of Sodom took Abraham's or, or that when King of Sodom lost, the winning kings took Abraham's nephew Lot with him and put him in bondage. Word is brought to Abraham. Now, I like Abraham too, because this is pretty gutsy. Four kings have just whipped five kings. And Abraham said, you took my nephew. Make my day. I'm coming for you. Now, these four kings have just whipped five kings. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Four kings have whipped five kings, and Abraham, with his traveling contingency, who are not known as warriors, are going up against the four, and they win the battle against the four, release the captives, and Lot is set free. And both the king of Sodom and the king of Salem, Melchizedek, go out to meet him. I want you to watch this because this is the decision that every one of us have to make. We will all have to choose between the king of Salem, who is the king of peace, and the king of Sodom, who represents everything that is wicked and fleshly and carnal. The king of Salem came to bless him. He meets Abraham, bread and wine, and confirms the covenant in that action, the picture from the Old Testament. What do we understand bread and wine to be today? But the body and blood of Jesus, it's the sealing of the covenant. And the king of peace comes and confirms the covenant that God had made with Abraham. Then the king of Sodom also comes and wants to bargain and he says to Abraham, you can keep all of the goods. Just give the people back to me. You want a picture of the devil? It's right there. He will make you rich if it means you'll shut your voice for the kingdom. 
If you'll give the people back to him, quit caring about what's happening in our nation, quit caring about what's happening in Washington, and there are, there are some really scary things on the horizon this morning that will put the church in a place of being the enemy of the state. If what's being proposed in Congress today passes, we are all in trouble, and we need to pray that that not happen because the king of Sodom will say, you can have your property as long as you give me your people. You can have your nonprofit status as long as you give me your people. Is there anyone hearing me this morning? And the devil will say that to you. There are times you're going to have to choose over your Christian witness and your job. I'm just telling you, those are the choices that sometimes are made. And after a great victory... The king of Salem says, I want you to understand that this wasn't from you. This was from the God who called you and calls him back into relationship. And Sodom at the same time says, I can bless you. I'll make you rich. You can keep all of the plunder. Just give me the people. It's the same thing that the king of Egypt said to Moses. Leave the people with me. And Abraham says, watch. He says, I will not take a dime from you because let it never be said. Is anyone hearing me this morning? Let it never be said that the king of Sodom made me rich. Let it never be said. Don't let it ever be said that someone bought your testimony. Don't let it ever be said that for temporal gain, you compromised your faith and backed up to keep your job, to get a promotion because it will cost you in the end. Abraham says, I'm not taking your money, but I'm going to give a tenth of everything I have to Melchizedek, of everything I have. That's where tithing comes from. It's not under law. It's an expression of the children of Abraham who say, we will not, look at the contrast, we will not take the wealth of Sodom, but instead we'll give a tenth of our wealth to the kingdom. Come on, someone help me this morning. I'm telling you, this is a, this is a truth that matters because it pictures the ministry of Jesus Christ. In the battle of the kings, Abraham says, I will not accept the blessing of Sodom, but I will give a tenth of all that I have to the king of Salem. That testifies to faith and to commitment. It's not based on, on what he did, but on the provision and the Bible talks to us then in verses 4 to 10 about the greatness of Melchizedek. Now, watch this. You've got to see why this matters to us. Because without Melchizedek, Jesus could not be our high priest. You say, well, God is God and he can do whatever he wants. No, 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 no. That's the pagan gods of this world. God cannot lie. And when he puts principles in place, he is faithful to them. And when he said that the priesthood would come from Levi, it has to come from Levi. And so you say, well, God raised up a new order in Melchizedek. No, you're missing the point. It's not that God just substituted. Let me ask you this, and I, I just want you to get this picture. Where is Levi right now in this moment? Levi, in this moment, has not yet been born. He's in the loins of Abraham. Are you watching? 
Levi will come out of Abraham. Which means when Abraham, who is the father of Levi, paid tithes till Melchizedek. Whoo! What did he say in that moment? He said, the priesthood of Melchizedek supersedes the priesthood that will be birthed out of my lineage. And that must never be forgotten, that there is a priesthood that's higher than the earthly priesthood. We find it in the book of Genesis, and it's portrayed very, very clearly when Abraham, who is the father of Levi, says that all of my lineage will pay homage to Melchizedek and the Melchizedekian priesthood. We have a priest who is like the Son of God, that's fulfilled in the New Testament that supersedes every other priesthood. The priesthood of Levi is temporary, but the priesthood of Melchizedek is eternal. And I don't serve Jewish law. I serve an eternal Savior who has fulfilled the law, and he is my priest today. Hallelujah. It's an eternal priesthood. How important is this? Well, listen to Psalm 110. You probably have heard this said before, quoted, the Lord said to my Lord, we find it in the book of Acts, we find it in other places, I should say. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be uh, willing on the day of battle, arraigned in holy majesty. From the womb of the dawn, you will receive the dew of your youth. The Lord has spoken and will not change his mind. He has sworn and will not change his mind. All that is a prophecy of Jesus. And the next verse says, of this one being prophesied, you are a priest forever. In the order of Melchizedek, the Lord is at your right hand and he will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook beside the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Psalm 110 is saying that this, that this priesthood of Melchizedek opens a door for the priesthood of Christ that will bring the, the subjugation of the entire world when every knee will bow, every tongue shall confess to God. They couldn't do that to Levi because it was temporary but they will do it to Jesus because he's eternal. This is a priesthood that is forever. And you might think it's just theological. No, 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 it's deeply spiritual because your life today will depend upon whether you align with the king of Sodom or the king of Salem. And I'm going to align with the king of Salem. I will not let Sodom make me rich, but I'll give a tenth of everything I have to the king of Salem. Woo, I feel like dancing. Glory to God. I love talking about money. <laughs> Do you know why? Because one of the few times everybody pays attention. <laughs> Moving along, not only, not only is his priesthood eternal, verses 11 to 25, his power. Are you ready for this? I'm going to blow up up here if you just keep looking at me like that. His power is indestructible. 
His power is indestructible. In verses 11 to 17, a better law was established. The law was holy, just, and good, but it was also weak and useless. In what sense? It was powerless in the sense that it couldn't change you. What the law could do as a schoolmaster is point out your failures. And when you say, well, we're not under the law, we're under grace. Yes, if you're a recipient of grace, but grace will never violate the law of God because those are the principles of what is right and holy and just and we needed to understand that. Why? Because we needed to understand that we can't do it on our own. I was reading an article today about the five most addicting drugs in the world. Heroin and cocaine were in there, but you know what number three was? Nicotine in the bondage that it brings and the hold it gets, the way it grabs hold of. And I'm saying to you this morning that anybody who has suffered any addiction of any kind comes face to face with their own frailty and understands that self-reformation and steps apart from God will produce a cycle of failure that pulls you right back into those addictions. But we have a better law. (laughs) It's the law of faith. A better law is established. The priesthood had to change. The law had to change. And thank God that God provided that, not based on a regulation such as ancestry, but on the power of an indestructible life. If you'll jump to verse 16, the Bible says, one who has become a priest not on the basis, Jesus has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but the basis of the power of an indestructible, life. He is indestructible. His power is indestructible. His priesthood cannot be stopped. And we can rest in that, that we have a Savior that cannot be conquered by the power and um, strengths of this age. A better law. What's the law that was established? There is a law that condemns you. It's the law of God that points out that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But when I see that law, Paul writes about another law that I see, and it's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death for what the law could not do in that it was weak. The law of the spirit of life has done for all of us that what you and I cannot do in the flesh, that what we cannot do by our own strength. And when you say, I'm telling you, I, I feel like I'm about to blow up. When, I, when you see all of our failures, what do you see? You see a life that's weak. How many of you have failed? You've tried to do right and and not measured up. Come on, hold up your neighbor's hand. It'll, It'll feel good to them to repent this morning. Just hold their hand up. You've done something and you just couldn't get there, couldn't make it. And all around you see failure. And I hear people say, well, there's all these people around. The world's full of hypocrites. The church is full of hypocrites. And I'm saying, that's right, because you're here. Hallelujah. But there's one. Ooh, there's one. There's one who has never failed. 
And our faith rests not on your ability to win, but in the truth that he cannot be defeated. He met the devil in the wilderness and overcame. He took the best the Pharisees had to offer and won. They nailed him to the cross, put him in the grave, rolled the stone, sealed the stone, sealed the stone, and put guards on the outside of the stone. And when they had done their best, the Spirit of God rolled the stone away and he came out alive and he rose from the dead, ascended to the Father, and it's that indestructible life that we base our lives on. You failed, I failed, we can't make it, but he did. He did, he made it. Because a better law was established. Look at verse 18, a better hope was introduced. The former regulation is set aside because it's weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. What is it, what is it telling us? All I have to offer you and all you have to offer me in this world we live in are the empty words, just try harder. How many have ever been told that? Just try harder. Well, I don't understand the math problem. I don't understand the syntax of, of, of the language. I don't understand how to fix this broken piece. I don't know what to do about my family. And it feels like everything I try fails. Just try harder. Will always lead to failure. It'll always lead to failure. You can't just try harder. What do you need to do? There's a better hope. <laughs> There's a better hope. And it's called draw near. Quit trying harder. How many are listening to me right now? Quit trying harder and try to get closer. Because that's where the hope comes from. You say, well, didn't you say we need to keep working at it? Or God's going to take scissors and trim my tongue? No, that's not what I said. What I'm saying is you can't do it in your own strength. You can't do it in your own merit. And you can try and try and try and try. But when you draw near, when you draw near, do you know what happens? There's hope birthed in your soul. A better law was established. A better hope was introduced. Verses 20 to 22, a better covenant was guaranteed. Are you walking with me this morning? A better covenant was guaranteed. Look at verse 20. Because of this oath, the oath that God made, the double oath, the promise that he made, because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. God will not change his mind. God has not changed his mind. The Lord is sworn, sworn with an oath and will not change direction. Jesus becomes the guarantor of the covenant. 
So let me walk through that again. His power is indestructible. A better law was established. A better hope was introduced. A better covenant was guaranteed. And verses 23 to 25, a complete salvation was secured. If this was in the South, somebody would be running right now. A complete salvation was secured. <laughs> now, therefore, verse 25, he is able to save to the uttermost. <laughs> this entire chapter into chapter 6 shows how weak and failed we are. And it would lead you to despair. But he's able to save to the uttermost, completely, full de deliverance, no lack, no failure. It's our privilege. This had never happened before. I mean, think about it. Abraham was the friend of God, but he tells his wife to lie and say she's his sister and she's taken by the king. Why? Because he couldn't overcome his own frailties. David is called a man after God's own heart and we know of his sin with Bathsheba and his murder of Uriah and all the troubles of his household because even though he's a man after God's own heart, he couldn't get to the place that he desired to be. But today... <laughs> We have a God who saves to the uttermost. You've got to get close. You've got to get close. It's his indestructible life that we have to join into. And I, I'd like to digress into John chapter 15 and the power of the vine into the life of the branches. And I preached a sermon some uh, years ago early in ministry on water sprinklers. I worked at a golf course, and I had to water the golf course every night, the front nine and the back nine, and we'd take sprinklers, and there were these big metal sprinkler heads, and you had to screw them into the, into the ports and the ground, screw them in tight, and then they would go and do their job for three hours, and as the, the water was not in the sprinkler. It was in the underground piping. And you know what happened if those sprinklers got so busy they didn't stay tied to the water supply? They'd work loose. And then they'd, this little stream, and they'd cut a circle. The superintendent didn't like that at all in the morning. It was my job to make sure they were going, not, I'm telling you this morning, some of you are struggling. You're in a place that you can't get free from. And it's because you're not close enough. Don't try harder. Just get a little closer. Amen. Are you hearing me this morning? Just get a little closer. Get a little closer. Tighten up your connection to that underground water pipe. And watch what happens. Not only will it save you, it'll be the saving of the people around you. He saves to the uttermost. He saves completely, fully, utterly. He saves to perfection. So as I take you one step more, 20, the last two verses. His priesthood is eternal. His power is indestructible. 
and his provision is final. <laughs> it's final. His provision is final. Now look at verse 26. Such a high priest truly meets our need. We are sinners. What is he? Holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, <laughs> exalted above the heavens. That's who he is. We are not all we need to be. He is everything we need to be. He, we are what we cannot be. He is what we can be. We find our fullness in him. And to the church in America, I would say, and to Brian, I would say, we don't, listen, I believe in discipleship, but I believe in trying harder, and I believe in all of that. But what we need is a miracle that we get close to him so that there's enough power on the inside of us to do on the outside of us what we need to do. But you can't do on the outside what you need to do if there's no power on the inside of you. We need to get closer because he is everything that we need to be. I, how many of you speak more than one language? Hold up your hand if you do. I'm curious. One person in here? That is so American. <laughs> Anybody speak more than one? Come on, let me see your hands. There's got to be more. Okay, up here. All right. And I only speak one, so I'm not criticizing you. I'm just criticizing me but here's what I know my daughter Tiffany studied French and you know the best way to learn French or Spanish my other daughter learned Spanish my son took French <laughs> I mean, know there's a difference and what's really funny is he wanted to learn French because his middle, his sister that studied French would chew him out in French and he never did know what she was saying. And he wanted to be able to smart off back to her in French. So, but when she went to France, she didn't go with a church missions trip. She went on an exchange program. Do you know what the best way is to learn another language? Is to immerse yourself in the culture where ooh, I'm feeling something right now. Immerse yourself in the culture where they're speaking what you want to learn. Now, if you want to be more like Jesus, you're not going to learn it in the classroom. You're going to experience it in worship. And in your closet of prayer, when you get next to the heart of God, I wish I could drive it home that we make, as I was, oh, listen, uh, when I was teaching on Revelation Wednesday night, and it just got, got me again. What's the picture of the church? It's not a political force. It's not a feeding station. It's not works of human hands. When you see the church in Revelation chapter 1, which sets the stage for the end, where do you find? You find one like the Son of Man in all of his glory and where is he he's walking amongst the churches which says this morning this isn't about our order of service it's about the presence of the holy one of israel is walking here this morning he's in our midst this morning and somehow if we could lift the church out of the ordinary carnal structures that we live in and see it as a spiritually powerful place that it ought to be lives would be changed in an instant because we'd get closer rather than trying harder. He's here in the house. He's here in the house.
We find our fullness in him. Verse 27. Unlike the other high priests, he, <laughs> he doesn't need to offer sacrifices. He doesn't need a paschal lamb. He doesn't need a red heifer. He doesn't need a turtle dove. He doesn't need any of the offerings. Why? Because he already is that. He offered his life blood. The Jewish religion, and not to pick on them because I'm going to pick on us, the Jewish religion still feels the need to offer sacrifice. And they look for the day the temple will be restored and they can offer blood on the mercy seat. But that's not a whole lot different than us. When we do Christian works out of a desire to be approved, Jesus doesn't have to be approved. He doesn't have to offer sacrifice because unlike other high priest he offered for us his life for the sins of the of the whole nation he sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself so i don't mean to i don't mean to dive over to eschatology but for those of you they're looking for the rebuilding of the temple and the reestablishing of Jewish sacrifice. Doesn't matter. Because he offered it once and for all. He ended the need when he gave his life. It is done. So what's the good news for you? I'm not saying you don't have to change the way you live. We saw that in chapter 6. But when you've been through the dark night of chapter 6, you find the answer in chapter 7, which is a priesthood that provided for us once and for all. You can't add to that. You can't take away from it. The provision is done and it is final because verse 28, for the law appoints high priests of high priests, men in all their weaknesses. But the oath which came after the law appointed the son whom has been made perfect forever. Here's how it wraps up. When you've been in chapter 6 and you've seen the darkness of where your life can take you, you walk right into chapter 7. You find in chapter 6 a man that cannot return and be redeemed. But in chapter 7, you meet the man who cannot be defeated, who saves to the uttermost. What do we know about him? His priesthood is eternal. His power is indestructible. And his provision is final. And because of that, we can walk in victory. Heads bowed, eyes closed, please. No one looking around. Pastor Nathan, if you'd come to the keys, please. I just felt really strongly in my spirit in the middle of that message that God's trying to deal with somebody's heart this morning. And you've had, I don't know, I don't have anybody in mind, I don't know, you, you know, I don't know what's going on in your life unless you told me, and there's no one that I'm thinking of right now. But you're in a cycle of failure. It could be that you lose your temper over things that really shouldn't matter. It could be that you're 
stealing from a neighbor or from your boss. It could be that you're bound in some kind of chemical addiction. It could be that you're bound in some kind of immorality. And that cycle just keeps repeating. And you're at a place where you feel like, I can't keep doing this. So I'm going to ask you to quit trying to be better. Instead, I'm going to ask you to try to get closer to the Savior. That's where the answer is. That's where supernatural power comes. With no one looking around, I'm not going to single you out in any way. But if you are in a cycle of destructive behaviors, some people are addicted to spending. Some people are addicted to language. They're addicted to anger. Some people wouldn't know what to do if they got up in the morning and didn't have somebody to fight with. You're addicted to some kind of lustful, degrading behavior. And you can't break that cycle as hard as you've tried. Quit trying. Get closer. If that's you this morning, if you're watching online or in the North Chapel, I believe the Spirit of God is present in this moment to draw you close to his heart, to fix what's broken on the inside of you and give you newness of life. With no one looking around, if you're in that spot, this destructive cycle downward, you keep getting pulled back into it. He wants you to be free. With no one looking around, would you just lift up your hand and say, I'm claiming that freedom this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. I'm going to wait just a moment. I believe God's, thank you. Moving on hearts this morning. Yes. Thank you. Could we do something this morning? Could we forget about how we leave <laughs> and think about just taking a moment to get close to his heart? Would you try that this morning? Rather than this being a song of benediction so we can go, maybe this is the beginning of the service. Would you just, wherever you're at, whatever your spiritual life is, whatever your development is, whether you're not having a struggle at all or you're struggling at the end of your rope, what might happen if we just tried to all just get a little closer to the heart of God? What might happen? Could we stand together? Pastor Nathan's going to lead us in some worship. Don't worry, I'm not suggesting that we'll be here for any particular length of time. It just takes a moment. It just takes a moment. And I'm not trying to, you to imagine anything. But how long does it take a child to feel the love of the Father? All it takes is for them to climb up on his lap. And he wraps his arms around them. It's not long. It's just closer. It's just closer. Let's do that. Let's try to press in. Just would you, are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? That we just move a little closer than we were when we came in. Pastor Nathan. Draw me close to you. Never let me go.
us, would you help us find our way to your heart? I ask in the name of Jesus, our eternal high priest. Amen. 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 You may be seated. I want to give you a challenge this morning. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you if you would just consider this in the week that's ahead of you. I'm going to ask you to pick a day and hopefully you have some time that you pray, that you seek God. 
I'm going to ask you to not pray longer, but would you pick one day and try to pray closer? Not longer, but closer. And I'm going to ask you to take your Bible and rather than reading more, try to read deeper. I'm going to ask you to pray closer and read deeper and see what God will do. Thank you for being here this morning. I believe that great things are ahead for us. We love this church. We love you. So thankful we're called um, to this place to serve. Thank you for your financial support. I have pastors who ask, how are you all doing? And said, you know, we've got a great church. They're here. And whether they're online or they're in person, um, are supporting and we're continuing to move forward. So thank you for your giving, your prayers, your support, your involvement here. And uh, we'll see what tomorrow brings. Amen. God bless you.